I have the idea for opening a store that has one price, one dollar. We'll make it a general store. I'm a country boy, so we'll make it dollar general store. What do you think? And they all said they were unanimous. It won't work. Helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is Entree Leadership. Now, here's your host, Ken Coleman. Coming to you from the Music City, this is the broadcast of Leaders by Leaders for Leaders. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. We're going to focus on family business this episode. We know that a lot of you out there are in family businesses. Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz are going to pull a talk that they did together on an Entree Leadership stage on lessons they've learned from running a family business. And then Cal Turner Jr. is our feature conversation He's the author of a book called My Father's Business, The Small Town Values That Built Dollar General Into a Billion Dollar Company. Would you believe that Dollar General is a billion dollar company? I didn't until I met Cal. Great gentleman. And of course, you know, we're going to bring you some great free resources. So let's get right to it. The Entree Leadership Stage. We love when we can pull content from one of our live events. This great content that you're about to hear is from Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz. Rachel is Dave's middle daughter. She's here and active in the business, as are all three of the Ramsey children. So this is a lesson on the dad hat versus the boss hat. Here is Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz. One of the writers in this space that has done the most work is a college professor named John Ward. And if you look up family business and you just Google it, you're going to find John Ward in about your first three clicks. But everywhere you go around family business, you're going to find a Venn diagram that John Ward built that is kind of the crux of the issue of roles. And the Venn diagram looks like this. You're an owner, you're a family member, and your role is in what's your role in the business. And this helps you remember how you're supposed to function because if you're not one of those, you're not one of those. And not everyone in the interaction is all of those. My wife Sharon and I own 100% of the stock of our company. And so my wife is an owner. She's also a family member. She has zero role in the business, except through me as we make major decisions. But she does not come to the office and attend meetings and do an audit on the books. She does not come down there and tell people what to do and boss people around. She is my wife. Now, if a lady, if she owned a business and I was, and I was not involved in the day-to-day, the same would apply for me. And so you've got to stay in your role. And so you figure out where your role is and you stay real clearly in that role. Now, in my case, I'm in all three roles. In Rachel's case, she's in two of them. She's family and business, but not an owner. She does have kind of a little subcategory future owner there and being trained for that. But that's a little different than owner. And even when I'm functioning around the office, I have to remember what my role is or when I'm functioning at home. And so when I'm in Thanksgiving dinner, I'm dad. When I'm sitting in the boardroom with our operating board, I'm functioning as the CEO in a business role. There are times when I'm sitting with my leadership team that I function in the ownership role that's different than the CEO role. And we separate those things very clearly. One of my board members the other day, I was really hammering on this thing. I was saying, this is something we got to do and we got to go. And, and he said, are you being a forceful CEO or are you the owner telling us what we do, we're going to do? And I said, no, I'm not playing the trump card of the owner yet. I'm trying to convince you as the CEO, this is important. And he said, I just want to know which circle you were in. 
Because it helps you to communicate that then because you know I'm fine with him asking that because if I'm the owner, I'm playing the trump card then. I'm going, I own the freaking place, you're doing what I said. That's down to that, right? But if I'm a, the CEO, I'm trying to lead, I'm trying to get everybody to go with me and share the vision, cast the vision and go together. Identifying your roles and staying in them will really help you. If you're at Thanksgiving dinner, you're not the CEO. When you're at the board table, you are. How you interface with each other then is a big deal on that. Yeah, and a piece of advice someone gave us, very tactical, but it was brilliant, was that when I'm in the office, when I step in the office or if I'm working an event like this, I call him Dave. He is Dave. I do not call him dad at the office. He is Dave. Now, again, when we go to dinner, he's dad, but in the office, he's Dave. And that does a lot of things. I think for me personally, it keeps me in my team member role. When I'm there, I'm talking to the CEO of the company who is Dave Ramsey. It is not my dad. And also, I think within the team, the team dynamic, I think it helps because if I'm in a meeting and something comes up and I say, well, my dad said, it just shifted everything, right? I mean, the chemistry of the room completely changed. But if I said, well, Dave said, then it's still an even playing field or it feels that way. And that's what's key is communicating and getting your team, I think, seeing that and feeling that. And that's part of my, my goal as well. But these circles, they look so nice and perfect, but we uh, messed them up. You know, we've, we've made mistakes for sure. Just uh, last month, actually, I was sitting in a meeting with Dave and a few board members, and we were sitting there talking, and, and he said something that I didn't agree with. And so I spoke up and I said, well, you know, I think this, this, and this. And he was like, okay, well, this and that. So we kind of had this banter going back and forth. And then it kind of started getting heated. And finally, he kind of put his hand down and said, no, Rachel, we all agree that this is what's happening and it's going to happen. And apparently, I rolled my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is never good. Not a good thing to do. I rolled, and I didn't even realize I did it, honestly. I apparently rolled my eyes. And, and I remember thinking in the moment, God, dad is just being so hard-headed. It's like, dad's just, and in my head, I'm saying dad, and I reacted as a daughter, a disrespectful daughter, but I reacted in that way. And so when we left the meeting, one of the board members who's over me, her name's Suzanne Sims, she pulled me into her office and she, we have a great relationship. And she said, you know, Rachel, I commend you on these last four years, you know, entering the company and this whole crazy dynamic with you and your dad and you're working in the family business and you've done so well, but what the heck happened in that meeting? And I was like, Suzanne, I just feel like I wasn't being heard. I just feel like he wasn't listening to me. You know, I kind of went off and she said, okay, Rachel, number one, you have to realize that you rolled your eyes at the CEO and no other team member would even probably, maybe they think it sometimes, but they they never... Never would do that. Never would do that. And then she said, you know, I, she goes, I challenge you. Uh, I encourage you. I'm not going to look up. I'm not going to check on this. I'm not going to ask you. But I encourage you to go and apologize to Dave, which made it even worse. I was like, okay, going to Dave, yes. And she said, you know, there's times where I'm in a meeting and I say something and I snap back and I have to go and apologize to Dave. And there's times where Dave will kind of snap at, maybe snap at me and I get an email or he'll stop by my office and apologize. And so I think you really need to go, you need to go and apologize. You need to walk through that process. 
And so I did, and it was good. And I think it was, I think it was good advice because as the second generation, I think we can you know, keep things in and you, and, you, and you think things and you just kind of keep everything in. And that's when stuff starts cracking in a relationship. And so bringing it to the light, if you will, and saying it out loud and apologizing for realizing my wrongdoing, it's good and it's healthy. And so, you know, maybe if, you're, if you are a second gen generation in here or even third, you know, listen to that leadership. If you have leadership above you and they're they love you enough to, you know, maybe make hard, hard choices and have hard conversations. They're doing it for the benefit of you and your relationship with your family. So listen to that criticism. And if you are not a family member, you know, I would, I would encourage you to be that Suzanne if you're working in a family business. And if you have that relationship with someone who is a family member to step in and correct the situation, because that was, that was huge for me. And so that was a point where, again, I was a team member, but functioning completely as a daughter. And there was a time where dad, I wanted him to function like my dad, but he started functioning like the CEO. That was um, years ago. It was, I was probably working, I probably just started maybe three or four months. So I was super new to the team. And there was this project that was being built basically from the ground up. And so they asked me to sit in on the meetings and kind of watch everything unfold. And so I was sitting in there and it was this really exciting meeting, all these ideas, this new project. It was so fun. And that night I had plans to eat dinner with with mom and dad and my husband. And so after work, we went up to their house and you know, we're eating dinner and I was telling him all about this meeting because I was so excited. I was like, dad, you know, all these ideas, it's crazy. I mean, we could do this and this and this. And I kind of just start telling him about this meeting. Well, I, I go to sleep, have a nice full rest sleep and wake up to an email from him with everyone that was in the meeting copied on it. And he starts giving his advice and his opinions, and his criticisms, and what he thinks should happen. And I, like my heart, you guys, I, I looked at my iPhone, of course, in bed. It's like the first thing you do when you wake up, you check your email. And my heart just sank, and I was like, no! Because now all these people are probably assuming, well, gosh, every time we're in a meeting with Rachel, she's going to take all that information and just go straight up and tell, tell the boss, tell the CEO, you know, everything that's going on. And so I went to work, and I, first thing, I found all those people on that email, and I just apologized not that anything necessarily bad happened, but they could have perceived that very wrong. And so I remember talking to dad and I'm like, in situations like that, I want to share with you what's going on at work that's fun and that's still really fresh and new. And as this, I don't want you to think in a CEO, I want you to think as my dad. And so I'll even say that, you know, I'll say in times, okay, can I tell you this as my dad and not the CEO? And he'll say, it depends. I don't know. <laughs> No, he's gotten, we've done better. We've done better. But again, keeping those circles in line, it just helps so much. I think with the health within the relationship of the family and when you're functioning at work, it just makes things clear and concise. So what happened there was you, you, we got our roles confused. We had on the wrong hat. And, and so what we're saying is don't get your roles confused. Make sure you have the right hat on at all times. And if you'll just pretend in a situation you've got a hat on that says leader, you know, it says shipping, or it says installer, or it says a programmer, or, or it says owner, or it says dad or mom or whatever, how are you functioning in that particular situation? Because um, I would never as a CEO have done that to another team member if they had brought everything in and said, look, we're just brainstorming this. Don't don't, don't bother us. I just want to tell, tell you about it. I wouldn't have gone and jumped in the middle of that project prematurely 
because that project was fully delegated and that would have been an improper leadership move on my part. And so guess what? That was an improper leadership move on my part. They now have a name for it. They call it Dave bombing. And so, yeah, they gave it a name. It happened. It was so clear, but it broke that rule. I had the wrong hat on. And so I had to go back and clean up the mess as well. And and you got to really work at this role thing. And so if you are a, a second or third or fourth gen and you're working for a generation that's, that's older than you, you need to treat them with the exact same respect as if they weren't family and they were in that role. If you're reporting to your dad or your mom or your uncle, they're not your uncle in that setting. You treat them with the same respect you would treat someone that wasn't a family member that was in that role. You treat the relationship, the communication flow exactly the same. And the performance has to be there. You don't get to be the VP of shipping if you're awful at it just because you're in the family. You got to bring it, baby. All right, we're going to give you some great resources this episode. Entree Leadership bringing you the six major mistakes that will destroy your family business. Now, you heard Dave and Rachel talk specifically about that dynamic. So there's six mistakes that the team has outlined, and we're going to give you all six of the mistakes, not just to make you aware of them, but tell you how to navigate those mistakes. We'll give you specific tips on how to avoid, and then if you've made those mistakes, it's not too late, you can correct the mistakes. So here's how you get the resource. Text episode 273 to 33444. That's episode 273. Text that to 33444. Cal Turner Jr. This is a man who took over as CEO after learning the business from his father. Now, what he took over and passed on is a $26 billion business. But don't get lost in the numbers. Focus on the story. Here is Cal Turner Jr. Thanks for joining us here in the Entree Leadership Studio. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I like to learn the starting stories. They're my favorite stories. Uh, take us back. What's going on in their heads? So your dad's head, your grandfather's head. What are they thinking at that time? Was it a big vision that they had? Or was it, ah, I just think this is a functional business. Let's give it a shot. Well, my grandfather, at the age of 11, lost his father in an accident. He had three younger siblings, and they lived on a mortgaged farm, and he was then head of the family at 11. And he only had a third-grade education. And he was a scrapper, a hard worker, a saver, and he was the financial backing of my dad. Mm. And Turner saw an opportunity in a very small town, Scottsville, Kentucky, to buy a big brick building at half price because a Turner will buy anything at half price. (laughs) (laughs) And they started a wholesale business. And then after the war, they discovered that retailers were between them as a wholesaler and the eventual customer. So they began opening retail stores. And they had the local manager to be a 50% partner. My dad believed in 50-50 partnerships. Mm. And then in 1955, my father, who watched what the city boys did, observed that they ran full-color newspaper ads, full-page ads, once a month, dollar-day sales. And there was 
$1 is the price. Hmm. And he said, those city boys have to be making money because they couldn't pay for that ad if they didn't. And they sell a lot of merchandise. So he got his group together and he said, I have the idea for opening a store that has one price, $1. And we can simplify all of the operations, the accounting, the bookkeeping, and we can give real value to the customer and we'll put general in there, make it a general store. I'm a country boy, and a general store is where you bought anything. So we'll make it dollar general store. What do you think? And they all said, they were unanimous. They said, it won't work. (laughs) Cal, it won't work. Right. But he was an entrepreneur. He was determined. And he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take one of our stores that is failing Mm -hmm. in Springfield, Kentucky. We're going to convert it to the Dollar General store format. Sure. And if that format works where we have previously failed, then we have something to go with. And it was a major success. Wow. Springfield, Kentucky in 1955. Unbelievable. So there's a great story right out of the gate of just the power of testing. As the leader, he took it to everybody. They doubted him, but he still felt he was right. But he didn't completely make a crazy change. He said, let's just try it and test it. And it worked. Why do you think it worked back then? Why do you think it still works now? It is simple retailing from a retailer who understands the customer's need Mm. for value at low price. And that company today still pursues that agenda and it works when you know your customer and you meet your customer's need and you are convenient as those stores are a dollar general store today serves 75 percent of the population of the continental united states that is a dollar general store is within five miles of 75% of the population in that, in these little bitty towns, right? We're country people. We grew up in small towns. We understand the market there, the people there. Right. And we know they make good employees too. Yeah. Boy, that's good. Okay. So there's so much there. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little (laughs) bit because I don't want to miss what you just said. And I'm listening to you and it's a great lesson for our business leaders over time, and you started us out with your grandfather and father doing this together. They took a chance, they proved a concept, and then they eventually flipped it all to the current concept. But you didn't change. When you eventually took over, and you served actually longer as CEO than your father, you didn't change who you are. You know, And, it's, and again, if you think about it, Dollar Generals are in smaller towns and spread out. What is the lesson that leaders can take from that? Well, there are many lessons that can yeah. be taken from yeah, that. Teach away. Luther, Luther Turner used to say, he was a boy off the farm, he used to say that a mule is smarter than a man because once a mule learns its stall in the barn, it'll return to that stall. But a man thinks if he's good at this, then why can't I get off into something else? Right. Why can't I try something else? But that's one of the principles of the company. Understand what you're good at. And if you're meeting customer need where you are, 
stay there and learn to do it better. Yeah. If you're a mule, be the best mule you can be. Don't try to be a thoroughbred. <laughs> exactly. That's good. <laughs> exactly. That is so good. Hey, folks, I started Ramsey Solutions on a card table 30 years ago. Over that time, we had too many different systems, and they slowed us down. That's why we now use NetSuite. NetSuite works for us, and it'll make a difference for your business, too. Whether you're just starting out or you're well on your way to becoming a multimillion-dollar company, NetSuite can scale with you to help communicate across departments and plan ahead better. See, you know your day-to-day forward and backward. But stuff like analytics, accounting, human capital management, all that might be another story. Or maybe you're not tech savvy. Well, all that's okay. NetSuite will help your company in your situation increase your speed. More than 37,000 companies use NetSuite to know their numbers. And right now you can download NetSuite's free KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance at netsuite.com slash Ramsey. That's netsuite.com slash Ramsey. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. Clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit trainual.com slash entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. All right, so now I want to jump back into the story here. So at what age are you when you begin to think, maybe I want to be in the family business? <laughs> I evolved in that decision. I was Cal Jr. And so I shirked that as a career. I didn't want to do it. So I later came to discover in my search for my calling in life that I was really called to accept the greatest challenge of my life that was to take on the role of boss's son. Nobody likes a boss. Mm. Boss spelled backwards is double S-O-B. You right. know? I mean, a bo- and a boss's son. I mean, right. who wants yes. to, I, I wanted to be my own person, sure. Sure. show what I could do. Sure. And yet I saw an entrepreneur, my dad, who wanted me to come in that business, who would probably not relinquish control to anybody other than his number one son. And to get that business to a professionally managed 
company was my objective mm. and position it for the first non-Turner who would take the helm. Mm. And I take great pride today in the success of that company without me. Yes. Without yes. me. Yes. You do. Th- you, I can see it. You're <laughs> swelling with pride in here. We mentioned your grandfather early on, too. Curious where he's at in all this. And I'd love to know things you took from your grandfather and things you took from your dad. I know there's so many. Yes. But maybe some of the biggest leadership, maybe lessons, styles that you, once you eventually matured into the role and took over as CEO, maybe you saw yourself in your grandfather or in your dad a few times or many, many times oh, with yes. big decisions. What yes. were some of those things? Well, my grandfather was my buddy. I'd go with him out on the farm and we'd check the cows. I never <laughs> knew what we were checking, but we did. And he only had a third grade education, yeah. only a third grade yeah. education. And that made him believe that everybody he met was smarter than he was. So he challenged himself to learn something from everybody he met. Mm. He worked hard. He saved. He believed in saving something out of every paycheck. And if Luther Turner hadn't done that back when times were tough, he wouldn't have been the necessary financial backing of his son, my dad. So Luther Turner was the financial backbone and the common sense, learn all you can from everybody you meet and learn from life, be a good observer. He had a lot going for him, and I consider him to be the smartest man I've ever known Wow! because he thought everybody else was smarter. Yes. That's a good leadership principle right yeah, there. It is. My dad, well, my dad was an amazing human being. He was an only child, and it's as if he adopted everybody into his family. He loved people. Hmm. A salesman once said to my dad, Cal, God in his infinite wisdom created you male instead of female because you can't say no. (laughs) If the price is right, you'll buy whatever it is. You can't say no. But my dad loved buying merchandise and then figuring out how to sell what he'd overbought. Hmm. And his timing was right because it was after the Second World War and the economy really got going even in the small towns where we worked and lived. And he made a go of it. My dad was really the founding management of the company and my grandfather, the founding investor. Hmm. You just mentioned the small town and you mentioned a couple of times being country boy and country people in the book. You actually write about the specificity of living in a small town mm-hmm. and how it made you a better leader. I'm curious, how did it make you better? Well, my dad used to say that you have to be a better person in a small town because, you know, you can't get by with anything. Everybody Everybody. knows what you're doing. (laughs) That's right. So you naturally grow up a better person. That is true. That was his, his theory about that. And in a small town, you achieve a connection with the few other people who are there. So the community seems like family. And that's the way it was 
in the 50s and 60s growing up in our wonderful small town of Scottsville. I want to ask you, as you begin to take over, and now you're out there and you're a junior still, but your dad obviously and the leadership of the company trusts you. You're at the point where you're now in control and you've taken the reins. What philosophy did you develop? Obviously, as we've been listening along, you've been terribly influenced you know, by your grandfather and, and your father, but you begin to become your own leader. What did that look like, that transformation, and what would you say was your leadership philosophy or methodology? Well, going into that role was a great challenge for me because I considered success to be perceived as a slam dunk because he came in as the boss's son and he was, the reins were just handed to him. So yeah, why wouldn't he be successful? But on the other hand, failure would be the fault of the boss's son. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty daunting. Yeah, well, kind sure. of scary. Can't imagine. And I also felt that I had to sell myself to everyone in the company because I came in as the boss's son. I began by poking fun at myself. Mm. I'd laugh about how I got into my position. You know, I admit I'm the boss's son. I'm over my head. <laughs> I've done most of the jobs that all of you do in this company. And guess what? I wasn't good at a single one of them but that makes me respect you mm -hmm. for doing them well. And I know we need your problem-solving genius mm -hmm. because the genius for solving the problem exists where the problem is. And you know how we can all come together to improve every single Dollar General store. And we want to learn from you. And if you'll help us, we'll share the success with you. Hmm. Great values. And that leads me to, I'd love to hear you teach us from your experience, what worked when it came to building a really healthy culture? How did values, your family's values, turn into company values, which became what drove the culture? Well, everybody pays attention to what the boss pays attention to. And I considered myself to be the chief human resources officer of the company. Since I didn't consider myself to be a retailer, then I leaned more on expertise of my mother, that is trying to be a people person, to reach out and make the important connection with others. And the culture of the company and the success of the company really came together when we adopted a two-word mission statement, serving others. Hmm. In life, you have a choice of serving self, which most people choose, or of serving others, which is what we choose. We're going to make life better for struggling people in the Dollar General stores that serve them. And we're going to come together in a team environment where we all work together, we believe in the diversity of talent that can come together to make a greater company than if we hired everybody who's like one single human talent. I don't want people around me who are like me. Hmm. I'm smart enough to know that would be a 
pretty poor company. Mm. So come in, bring what you can do to help us grow this company together, and we'll all share the success. That leads me beautifully, I think, to a question about developing others. You know, you you write a lot about don't be a boss where you're telling people what to do, build into them, give them the opportunity to do what's right. How intentional were you when it came to developing the leaders under you? There's only so many leaders that you could lead. And as the company got much, much bigger and keeping a real healthy leadership culture as the company grew so large. That's critical to building a successful organization. And I found that the strongest principles for how to do that came actually from my mother. I learned business from my father. I learned leadership principles from my mother. Love that. Let me give you an example. This teenager was often told by his mother, son, for a good boy, you get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> she was separating the person from the problem. Yes. And I learned that the best way to develop an organization was to try to help everybody get beyond guilt or blame mm. because when things go wrong in an organization, that often defines the culture. And if we could get beyond finger-pointing to problem-solving partnerships in the company, then we could be a far better organization. So here I was taking my mother's principles into business with my dad. Something would go wrong, and he'd say, well, who did that? He was the old school. Mm -hmm. Who did that? I said, I'm not going to tell you, Daddy. Do you know who did it? Yes, I do. Well, tell me, I'm not going to tell you, Daddy. We're not going to ask that question. We're not going to say who did it. We're going to say what happened and who needs what help to fix it. Mm. We'll come together. We'll learn from our mistakes and we'll build a great company. Mm. Well, I could see what was going on in my dad's mind. That doesn't seem very efficient to me. Find out who did it and just take care of the problem in that person. And that was not the management style that was the most productive. Mm. So I used my Laura Catherine Turner principles on my Cal Turner Sr. He was my partner in the business. But he discovered pretty soon that it did begin to work. Mm -hmm. People want to be part of a success. Everybody wants to be a part of something that makes a difference and is positive. Nobody gets up in the morning, I don't think, and just naturally says, now, how can I go out and mess up today? <laughs> That's right. We would hope not, right? And as an organization, we tried to attract people-centered problem solvers. Oh, that's good. People-centered problem solvers. Yeah. That's gold. I want to ask you to share some wisdom on what you learned about scaling. You know, we've got a lot of business owners that are listening in. And what I love about this story is Dollar General started out small and then it grew. And 
But as you took over, obviously some extreme growth took place, and now it continues to grow without you. What can our leaders hear from you? What's a good filter maybe to apply before they decide to expand? What should they be thinking? What should they be looking out for? Well, I studied expansion and how to do it all my career. (laughs) My dad believed that he really should have more stores since he'd already overbought and had more inventory than he could sell in the ones he had. So his overbuying was forcing for expansion. Well, (laughs) that, that can only take you so far, I guess, as far as your resources can finance you. Then when I really assumed the helm of the company, I said, look, for our growth objective every year, we need to determine how we can get more sales out of existing stores first. Yes. And then when we do that, how many new stores can we add each year without interfering with same store sales growth? If we are always growing same stores and adding the new stores that we can that don't compete too much because you have limited resources. Let's give the resources to existing store growth first and then open new stores. So every time we open a new store, it will be a more powerful store because we've developed our ability to get more sales out of every store in Mm. the company. Every year we'll do that a little better. Mm. So I think you have to... Feed your base, even as you're creating new stores. So you have to serve your whole organization well as you're growing so that you're healthy enough to add new on Mm. top of it. Yeah. And I'm excited by change. I like to see what we can do that's different. Mm -hmm. And I like people around me who are excited about change and making it work. Mm. But change can be your enemy or your friend, Mm. depending on how much you take on when, Mm -hmm. whether you're ready for it. Yeah, good stuff. Before we let you go, it's a great book. We couldn't even try to cover all the greatness that's in it. We've talked a little bit about the story What would you want leaders to take away after they finish this book? That book is my attempt to share from the inside the success and the failures that went into making that company. I'd like for leaders and potential leaders to be encouraged that with the right values and the right kind of people helping you build your organization, you can make healthy mistakes. Mm. Some of the mistakes we made were our best learning experience. But you need to develop the ability to learn from your mistakes. And that company today is an organization I'm proud of, even though I'm 15 years retired, because they are going and blowing and doing well And it it does the founding family, the Turner family, great honor to see how well that company is working without Turner management. Yes. 
Well, it's great. It's a great story. You're such a gentleman. Thank you for hanging out with us today. The book is My Father's Business, The Small Town Values That Built Dollar General into a Billion-Dollar Company. Cal Turner, Jr., our guest, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Cal Turner, Jr. Again, the book is My Father's Business. If you're in family business, this is a must-read. I would read it and share it. And our friends at Infusionsoft are bringing you a free growth plan. We know how valuable your time is. Time is fleeting. It's our most precious resource. A lot of you don't pursue growth because you think, I don't have the time. Well, that's no longer a good excuse. They're going to give you a plan. The plan includes actual tactics. They're going to help you convert leads into loyal customers. They're going to give you calls to action that are designed to earn your customers' trust and win new business. And folks, Infusionsoft understands this. This isn't just a bunch of stuff that they're passing along. This is straight from their playbook, and they have won and are winning big. And it's free. Did I mention that it's free? So why wouldn't you get this growth plan? It's absolutely free. Go get it at infusionsoft.com slash custom growth plan. That's infusionsoft.com slash custom growth plan. Well, that's going to do it. On behalf of Will, the producer, Tim, the engineer, and the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again very soon. Hey, folks, I want to make you aware that we have other great podcasts from Ramsey Solutions. Here's a sample of Chris Hogan's Retire Inspired podcast. Listen to me, VIPs. People often get overwhelmed with the topics of investing and retirement and how to reach a net worth of a million dollars. That's why every episode of Retire Inspired offers effective tools and insights so that you can focus forward, get excited, and reach your high-definition future. If you'd like to hear full episodes, just search Retire Inspired in iTunes or go to chrishogan360.com. 